This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Casey Candell, card number 431, second baseman slash outfielder for the Montreal Expos. Okay, Casey Candell. Looks like one too many vowels in this name here, David, but we will get to that in just a minute. First, we do have some follow-up from last week's episode about Frank Lucchese. I mispronounced Tony Lazari's name. I said Lazari. What? Wait a minute. No. <laughs> that could not have gotten by the quality control department, David. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, so sorry to Hall of Famer Tony Lazari, not Tony Lazari. I'm pretty sure I've pronounced his name correctly on a previous episode. I don't know. It was just a rush of blood to the brain. We will not make that mistake again until the next time we do. <laughs> so now we go to our card 431, Casey Candell. And why did we choose Casey this week? I was always intrigued by this guy. He has that Topps All-Star rookie little gold cup. He's wearing the very cool away Expos uniform. And I always thought like, well, that's an all-star rookie. He's going to be a star. Second baseman, he looks like a little guy. And early on in the run of this podcast, I was having an offline conversation with friend of the show, Brian. And I was talking about the many luminary all-star rookies in this set. Matt Noakes, Al Pedrique. And I said, and Casey Candaly. And Brian said, you mean Casey Candell? And I realized I had no idea anything about this guy other than he was an all-star rookie. And I knew nothing of his career because, for the most part, he spent his career in the National League. I didn't watch a lot of National League baseball. And uh, so I knew nothing of him even so far as to say I didn't even know how to pronounce his name. But he's also one of those guys, like Randy Reddy, where as soon as you Google the name... Something comes up where you go, oh, this is why we do the podcast. <laughs> so with Casey Candell, we have a Hall of Famer in the family, a multi-generational baseball family like we have never had on the pod, except maybe Tony Pena's mom. Oh, well, then this is bound to be an all-star episode. I can't wait to dig in. So let's go to the front of 431. And yeah, Casey Candell spelled C-A-N-D-A-E-L-E. Candell is probably not how I would have pronounced it in 1988 either. And the image that you have here is Casey's in the batter's box. He is a left-handed batter. He's just pushed one into left field, I think. And he's looking to see if maybe he can get two bases out of it. But he's just about to leave the batter's box. He's kind of squinting. In that way that he's trying to make out where the ball was going to land and what's going to happen. And he's he's poised for action. So it's a very good action shot. And Matt, you're right to say that he's batting left-handed. But as we can see by the, the double earmuffs on Casey's very cool Expos pinwheel helmet, he's a switch hitter. So he could use that helmet if he's batting righty or lefty. I also like in this he's got some converse on. Mm. Converse cleats. He's very bundled up. He's got gloves, a long-sleeved shirt. Must have been a very cold day in New York. It looks like there are Mets in that background behind him. Yeah, if you look in the stands behind him, too, you can kind of make out, looks like a guy wearing a parka 
And maybe, does he have a cup of coffee or does he have a weapon? I can't tell what's there. It's a very oh, it's la- his, large watch. It's his watch. You really can only see one pixel, giant pixel, and a faded out picture that's white. But I can make up any story to make that work. The lovely powder blue Expos Away uniform. The slightly visible, if maybe obscured by glare, Expo logo on the helmet. In case he, he, he even kind of looks little in this, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, compared to Ed Hearn a couple of episodes ago, who just looked enormous. Ooh. When they're playing the Mets here. So if this was taken in 86, he could have been in danger of being crushed by an Ed Hearn. Ed Hearn very likely right behind him in the back of the batter's box getting ready to just annihilate Casey Candell. Casey running for his life from Ed Hearn. Good-looking card, though. Agreed. All of the Expos cards. I love the Expos uniforms. Now flipping to the back of 431. Casey, five foot nine, weight 160. That looks generous to me. Switch hitting and right-handed throwing. Signed by the Expos in 1982 as a free agent. Born January 12th, 1961 in Lompoc, California, with a home in Lompoc, California. Lompoc, California is in Santa Barbara County in the central coast of California. Named by the Chumash people, Lompoc means stagnant waters or lagoon. When Casey was growing up there, there were around 14,000 people. It's grown to around 42,000 people in recent years. Lompoc is a military town near Vandenberg Air Force Base, now Vandenberg Space Force Base. And that Mm. base is a huge part of the local economy. Also a lot of wine tourism in recent years. Casey went to Lompoc High School. Ah, and that takes us to the fun fact, which is that Casey played baseball and football at Lompoc High School. I think a feature of this podcast is that we give you the fun facts that Tops did not. Mm. There is a an amazing fun fact about Casey that we're going to get to in a little bit that is way more interesting than that he played baseball and football. It is interesting that he played football. I'm not sure what position he played as a five foot nine <laughs> and guard tackle. Uh, other notable alumni from Lompoc include LA Galaxy player Julian Araujo, former Raider Napoleon Kaufman, Jeffrey Combs. Uh, of Reanimator, Castle Freak, and other outstanding horror movies of the 80s fame, and the Candell family. So we have Rick Candell, who was a college football coach at UC Santa Barbara and Claremont McKenna, and Kelly Candell, who's Casey's brother. Kelly is a writer and documentary filmmaker and politician, and he's made documentaries about El Clasico, the Spanish soccer rivalry, also soccer in Kolkata, India, and an assassinated Swedish prime minister. Perhaps most relevant to today's story, he made a documentary in 1987 about his mother. And his mother is Helen Callahan. And so now this is a Helen Callahan podcast. So sorry, Casey. Yeah, sorry, Casey. Sorry, Helen is far more interesting. We have far more of a story to tell. Which, David, let's be honest... Most guys, the story about their moms is going to be much more notable and much more interesting. Sorry, uh, hashtag all moms. We've had interesting dads on here, Ozzy Virgil Sr. But I think when we get into talking about players with notable moms, it's always the best. And in this case, 
Casey does not have a Saber bio. Helen and her sister Marge do. What? Yes! <laughs> so there's a Marge and Helen Callahan Saber bio written by Jim Sargent. Helen was born in Vancouver, British Columbia. She was a very good basketball player growing up and an all-around athlete. Came from an athletic family. Both her and her sister are good softball players. They both went and tried out to play for the Minneapolis Millerettes in the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. Uh, And actually, there were a lot of Canadian women who played in that women's baseball league in the 1940s. In 1944, the Millerettes' first season in the league, Helen is in her rookie season. She finishes second in the in the league in average with a 287 average, third in runs, third in hits, third in home runs, and total bases. She also stole 112 bases in 112 games. Oh, man. Which probably qualifies her for a little gold cup. That's an all-star rookie season. She should have been an all-star rookie that season, no doubt about it. That average is better than Casey's in his rookie season. <laughs> but she was a really good player, and in 1945, the team moves from Minneapolis to Fort Wayne. They become the Daisies, and Helen leads the league in batting with a 299 average, steals 92 bases, and leads the league in hits and doubles. And some at this time called her the Ted Williams of women's baseball. Marge was no slouch herself. She hit what was said to be the longest home run in league history. So she was a good power hitter and a good player as well. Helen had a down year in 1946 and missed all of 1947 due to what was called illness. But more specifically, she had a ruptured tubal pregnancy. And in uh, 1948, she returned to the league and brought her first child, Rick, with her when she returned to play. Her husband, Bob Candell, was also from Vancouver. He stayed in Vancouver while Helen went to play baseball. All of Casey's siblings were born in Vancouver, but the family moved to California after his mother was done playing, and that's where Casey was born. Helen said it was a difficult life. After a double header, they would shower, get dressed, travel all night on the bus, get to their hotel at 8 or 9 in the morning, shower, play two games of baseball in 110 degrees of heat, then do it all over again the next day. So they played oh, man. over 100 games a season, They had a really grueling schedule. When Kelly and Casey were kids, they were kind of unaware of their mother's career. And she didn't talk about it a lot. But Kelly decided to dig in a little bit more, and he made a documentary called A League of Their Own. So that documentary was made in 1987, and Penny Marshall sees the documentary, reaches out to Kelly Candell to assist on the story for a feature film of the same name. That film, of course, had some parallels to the Callahan sisters' lives, though it was a fictionalized account. In that, there were sisters Dottie and Kit. Here we have Helen and Marge. And other female players said the movie wasn't necessarily about their lives, but it was about the league, and that it was at least an entertaining but relatively um, accurate depiction of the league. And as I said, the Candell kids didn't know a lot about Helen's story, She had five sons, of which Casey was the youngest, and she played ball with Casey, throwing him BP, helping him learn how to field. But as a kid, he just thought that was the thing that all moms do with their kids. Well, and, you know, and sometimes it is. Yeah, if you're uh, Rosalie Pena, you do the same with with Tony. (laughs) 
Casey said she felt that her baseball career was something that she had done in the past, and now the most important thing was taking care of her kids. And of course, they could tell that she was a good baseball player. And in fact, she was banned from mother-son games at Little League. (laughs) According to Casey, they asked her not to play anymore because she was a little scary for the Little Leaguers to catch the ball as she was hitting it. So by that point, she would be nearing probably 50 years old, but still had a very competitive streak that showed when she was younger. That's amazing. She's as terrifying as Ed Hearn on the baseball field, just ready to rip your head off with a line drive. (laughs) Yes. Telling mom that she can't play in the mother-son game is a pretty amazing accomplishment. When Helen played, she used a 36-ounce bat. And I looked into it. Today, nowadays, you have... 32, 33-ounce bats. Julio Franco used a 36-ounce bat. So she was using the same bat size as Julio Franco, probably not with that same batting stance. She was also only 5'1", and using this giant piece of lumber. It's got to be intimidating for a pitcher to face a 5'1", batter with a huge bat, tiny strike zone, you know, vertically, and then a 36-inch bat's going to be long enough that it could probably cover like two plates worth of pitches. So, man, you're in trouble. When she went to see Casey play in Montreal, she went to visit him in the locker room and grabbed his bat and said, this is a twig. This isn't big enough. (laughs) (laughs) That should have been the fun fact. Yes. And maybe the fun fact should have been, in a five-season career, Helen Callahan was a 256 hitter with seven home runs, 117 RBI, played in 495 games, and had 419 stolen bases, <laughs> 299 runs, 44 doubles, 20 triples. So really oh, man. quite an impressive career that Helen Callahan put together. So I said that Helen was five foot one. Casey not only inherited her love of baseball, but also her small size. He was 5'9", 160. He was not drafted out of Lumpoc High School. Instead, he goes to play for the University of Arizona fighting Ron Hasseys. He played under Jerry Kindle. And in 1980, Casey was on the national championship winning Wildcat team. That team featured the Golden Spikes winner for that season, which was Terry Francona. And there were six other players who were picked in the 1980 draft. In 81 and 82, they didn't make the College World Series. There probably wasn't much expected of Casey coming out of college. Looking at the 81 and 82 All-America teams, no Casey Candell listed. You have such luminaries as Tom Nieto and Joe Carter on those teams, but no Casey Candell. So Casey not being drafted, he ends up signing as a free agent, and that takes us to this way to the clubhouse. The Casey signed as an undrafted free agent, with the Expos, August 15th, 1982, by Dick LeMay and Bob Oldis. Scout talk. Dick LeMay was a pitcher in the majors for the Giants and Cubs in 1961-63. to 63. Later went on to scout for the Phillies and then the Expos. He had one complete game in his 45-game MLB career, throwing a six-hitter against the Cardinals. The losing pitcher in that game was Bob Gibson. So at least on that day, Dick LeMay bested Bob Gibson. Dick passed away in 2018. The other scout on this card is Bob Oldis. Bob Oldis has some fun facts himself. He was an MLB catcher in 135 games over seven seasons. 
always enjoy a guy who sticks around for that long and doesn't really play that many games. He played for the Pirates, Phillies, and Senators. He won a World Series in 1960 with the Pirates, appearing in two games, but he made no plate appearances. He went on to coach the Phillies, Twins, Expos, and then was a scout for the Phillies and later for the Expos. He had a ton of off-season jobs, including he would coach and referee youth sports. He also drove a snowplow for the Iowa State Highway Commission. Mm. And relevant to friend of the show, Brian only, probably. Oldest was a member of the chain gang at University of Iowa football games for 55 years, from 1955 <laughs> to 2010. And Bob Oldest is still alive at 93 years old. So Casey's first stop in the minors is at West Palm Beach, and that's the first line on this card. It has several years of his minor league work. And he immediately impresses at West Palm Beach, which is abbreviated here W period Palm B apostrophe H. I have never seen beach. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, like that's that. It, that makes no it sense. Does not make any <laughs> makes no sense to me. But what Palm B good season, hitting three oh five, twenty six doubles and twenty two steals, took some walks too. So he had. And on base percentage over 370, he ends up getting promoted for a few games at double A that season and then spends all of 1984 at double A in Jacksonville. He hits 273, 26 steals. He was caught 18 times. He didn't strike out a lot, so he gets makes contact, runs, and he had a power surge that year. He hit two home runs. <laughs> two home runs is the biggest number in that column on this card. He's promoted to AAA for 1985 and 86 and ends up making a call-up to the big leagues in early June of 1986. I read that he was called up when Andre Dawson was put on the disabled list. So he shows up and mostly appears as a pinch hitter or pinch runner. So he's in seven games but only made six plate appearances. He did get a hit, a double in his third game, and then he's sent back down to the minors to AAA for a couple months, finishes out the 86 season, hitting 302, 16 steals, 32 doubles. So he, he moves his slugging percentage up significantly in that 86 season in AAA. He did make a good impression, though, on manager Buck Rogers, and he gets called back up at the end of the season and plays most of the last month as the leadoff hitter for the Expos, finishing with 30 games and a 231 average in the pros. But it seems like he's in the plans for the 1987 season. Yeah, for 1987, he is a Swiss Army knife for the Expos team. He ends up playing in 138 games, and his versatility really just makes him very valuable to the team. He stays in the leadoff spot, partially thanks to Tim Raines missing the first month of the season with a collusion-related contract dispute. The Tim Raines episode will just be probably a month of episodes. <laughs> particularly because of this 1987 season. We've talked a little bit about ownership collusion. Tim Raines, one of the great players of all time, somehow doesn't get an offer from any team as a free agent and holds out for the Expos. Tim was out until May 1st, and Casey plays well enough that he keeps that leadoff spot, and he hits 317 in April, 318 in May. He ends up playing all of the infield and outfield positions except third base in 1987, mostly at second base and outfield as listed on the card. 
And so, David, this is really the big highlight of 1987. On July 19th, Casey hits his only home run of the season, and it is said to be the shortest out-of-the-park home run in Olympic Stadium history. It barely makes it over the fence, which is probably fitting. He had only had four minor league home runs in the previous four seasons, but after the game, someone painted the seat yellow that the ball hit to match the seat that had been painted earlier that marked a 535-foot home run hit by Willie Stargell, the longest in Olympic Stadium history. So it became then the bookend, uh, the bookend seat uh, in the outfield. Yes, and this home run apparently just made it over the wall by six inches, maybe, just barely making it over the wall. Apparently the team had a pool going to pick which day Casey would hit his first home run. And nobody won that money. And Casey tried to get them to give him the money because he was a rookie. He was on league minimum salary. And I I don't think that he was able to convince them to. Oh, they should have given him the money. But so he he had the the shortest home run. I You know, the Olympic Stadium is still there in Montreal. I wonder if that painted seat is still there. Well, all the same, by August, his hot bat had cooled and he was moved into a reserve role as the Expos were in the National League East race. And as we mentioned, a a reserve role fits him just fine with his versatility. The Expos end up finishing in third place, four games behind the Cardinals. And Casey finishes the season with a 272 average, 23 RBIs, 23 doubles, and four triples, and that one home run. Only strikes out 28 times, once every 16 at-bats. So... Really, what turns into a very good rookie year. He ends up finishing fourth in the Rookie of the Year voting. But, David, that does raise a question. You know, fourth in the Rookie of the Year voting, I guess, is good enough to get the little all-star rookie signifier on the tops card? He was good for a full point of wins above replacement, (laughs) 1.0. He played good defense. He played all over the field. But he was, I think, sixth, the sixth highest rookie in wins above replacement as a second baseman. And he was behind guys who played only like 20 or 30 games. 272, no power. It's not an incredibly impressive season. Jerry Brown had the best rookie year for a second baseman, but his stats on paper look pretty similar to Casey's. 271 with no power. So there really weren't any great rookie second baseman. You know, this is a year where we had Matt Noakes as the catcher on the all-star rookie team. Benito Santiago was also a rookie and doesn't get the little gold cup, even though he was the National League Rookie of the Year. So there was it was a light year for second baseman, clearly a light year for shortstops, as Al Pedrique will, will show. <laughs> we have hyped that Al Pedrique episode so much. We'll we say that'll be next that- Christmas. That's Christmas 2020. Okay, next, next Christmas. So we're winding down that, that 87 season. We get into the 1988 season. He's going to just build on this season and take off, right? We should also point out he was a 26-year-old rookie. So maybe it was just a, that the opening of that season was really strong, and, and then he kind of tailed off. He has a really rough 1988. Through his first 36 games, he hits 170. He gets sent back down to AAA. And then in July, he gets traded to Houston for catcher Mark Bailey. And I don't think Mark Bailey ever played for the Expos. 
so by that point, the Expos don't see a lot of value in, in Casey Candell. And it doesn't really get any better when he goes to Houston. He hits 161 in 21 games and then gets sent to AAA by Houston as well. Yeah, he doesn't end up making it back to the majors until 1990. He had spent the next two seasons, 89 and 90, with the Tucson Toros. And didn't hit great there either. 218 in 1989, then 214 in 1990. Somehow gets a call up anyway. I'm not sure how this happened, but maybe it's just his history as a utility man. The Astros saw him. They knew that he could fill a role. And he does it well. He ends up hitting 286 in 262 at-bats, mostly playing outfield and second base. And then in 1991, he has his best season, making 95 starts at second base, playing 151 total games, hitting 262, four homers. Four homers is a... That's Babe Ruth numbers for Casey Candell. That's huge. That's huge. And actually, in 1991, that was his highest wins above replacement year, too. He was valued at 1.9 wins above replacement in 1991. He also had seven triples, which was ninth in the league. So that's pretty good. Pretty good season for Casey. Yeah, very good season. Unfortunately, 1992, not so great. Hit only 213. He starts 1993 back in AAA, plays half the season in Houston, then gets released after the 1993 season. It seems like that might be the last chance for him as he's at this point 32 years old and he's had three kind of lackluster seasons in a row. It's not often on baseball reference that you see a guy with multiple gray lines marking a break in their (laughs) career. But with Casey, you have a full break in 1989. You have a full break between 1993 and 1996. In those seasons, he tries to catch on with the Dodgers, with Cincinnati, before finally catching on with Cleveland's AAA team. And at that point, they were in Buffalo, and he became a fan favorite there in 95 through 97 and earned a couple short call-ups to Cleveland in 96 and 97. Yeah, in 1996, he actually gets his first shot at postseason action. He plays in two games, had one plate appearance in Game 3, pinch hitting for Jim Tomey. Then in a 4-4 tie with runners on first and second, he earns a walk to load the bases for Albert Bell, and Bell hits a grand slam. So he actually scored a run in postseason appearance. And then in 1997, while he was at Buffalo, he was named the team's most inspirational player, which, David, sounds a lot like the, the ribbon I got in swim team for most improved beginner. Yeah, it it's unfortunate because... At this point, he's 36 years old. He's a a baseball lifer, a little bit of a replacement player, bouncing back and forth between the big league club and AAA. And he tore a knee ligament in Game 3 of the American Association semifinals, and he missed the remainder of the playoffs. Some of his teammates had CC10 written in their caps as they captured the team's first AAA championship since 1961. So... Beloved by his teammates, beloved by the fans in Buffalo. Unfortunately, he was not able to be on the field when they won that championship. And as it would turn out, his last major league experience was in 1997 with Cleveland. In those two seasons, in those two short call-ups, he played 38 games over the two seasons. Finally, in 1998, he tries to catch on with another team. He's playing AAA with Pittsburgh, Houston, and Florida before 
spending one more season in the independent leagues, and then finally calling it a career at age 39 in the year 2000. So closing the book on Casey Candell in 754 career major league games, he hits 250 with 11 home runs and 206 runs scored. So David, how about in retirement? In retirement, Casey has served as a coach in many capacities. From 2000 to 2010, Candell was a coach at San Luis Obispo High School and also in the summer collegiate baseball leagues. From 2011 to 2015, he was with the Rangers in various minor league roles as a field coordinator, infield and base running coordinator. He then served as the first base coach for the Mariners before joining the Blue Jays organization as a minor league manager. He was first a manager at Dunedin in A-level in 2018, and then he went to his ancestral homeland of Vancouver in 2019. Mm -hmm. So this was a, a great homecoming for him. There were some local news articles talking about the importance of his family and his family's ties to Vancouver. He did well enough there to earn a promotion to manage the AAA Buffalo Bison in 2021. Now the Buffalo Bison were the AAA affiliate of the Blue Jays. When Casey was there, they were with Cleveland, and he had a really good season in 2021. They finished third in the AAA East Division. They finished second in the final end-of-the-season tournament, which is called the Final Stretch Tournament, and Casey was named AAA East Co-Manager of the Year in 2021. So a very successful coaching career for Casey. Now circling back, though, to the real baseball star of the family and Helen Callahan, she unfortunately passed away from breast cancer in late 1992, shortly after the Hollywood version of A League of Their Own was released. And Casey said that he got his baseball talents from his dad. If I got it from my mom, I'd be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and Helen's sister, Margaret, passed away in 2019 at the age of 97. And there's really some great interviews with Margaret about the league, about her sister, and about her playing career. In 1998, the 64 Canadian women who played in the AAGPBL were inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. In 2021, Helen Callahan was inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame as an individual. And she is the first woman honored individually by the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. Casey says that his mom taught him about perseverance and passion for the game. He says, My mom taught me don't let anybody outwork you. There were numerous times throughout my career where there were players that were better than me and more talented than me, but maybe didn't work as hard. And especially for a guy of Casey's size, of what seems like limited ceiling, not drafted out of high school, not drafted out of college, even after winning a college World Series. But he just hustled, and he just tried. And it's believed that Helen and Casey are the only mother-son combination to have both played professional baseball. And I'm not sure that anybody can break that record until there is another women's baseball league. And let's hope that that becomes the case someday. But right now, Casey is passing Helen's lessons and Helen's teachings on to a new generation of young players, and hopefully he can also teach them a little bit about Helen and Margaret Callahan, two amazing baseball Hall of Famers. That is an incredible story and some incredible ladies. So thank you, David, very much for the story. And thank you to all the moms out there. 
And thank you to you at home for listening. If you've ever been completely upstaged by your mom on a Little League field, we'd love to hear from you. We're at Tops 1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.